Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, October 10th. We will get two perspectives on the Middle East. Later this hour, the Palestinian-Jordanian-American journalist and college professor Rami Khoury, first Brooklyn and Manhattan Congressman Dan Goldman, who will join us in just a minute. Goldman, as some of you know, is in Israel when the attacks by Hamas began over the weekend. He will tell us that story, but also talk about policy responses as he sees it, uh, the range of policy responses that are possible or preferable by the United States. Congressman Dan Goldman does join us now. Congressman, it's horrible that it's under these circumstances, but welcome back to WNYC. Thanks very much, Brian. Good to be with you as always. Can you tell your constituents and other listeners, first of all, where you were and why and what it was like for you and your family when the attack began? Sure. We had a a family trip planned for a bar mitzvah of a cousin of ours last week. Um, And we were in Tel Aviv toward the end of the the trip. I actually missed the bar mitzvah in Jerusalem because of the shutdown and other obligations in D.C. But I met my family uh, in Tel Aviv and we were awoken on Saturday morning at 630 by sirens, by the the bomb sirens that uh, Israelis are all too familiar with that uh, go off when rockets come in from uh, Gaza, and we were jolted awake. I pulled my three kids together, and we had 90 seconds to get to the internal stairwell, which is the, the shelter in a, a large hotel like that. Um, we stayed there uh, for 10 minutes or so, and then went back to our room, but did that uh, several more times in the morning as Hamas uh, raid, paraded thousands of rockets into Israel, including at Tel Aviv, 40 miles away from Gaza. How did you get out of the country? Well, after I realized what was going on, I jumped on the El Al website and got five tickets. Um, very lucky to uh, that they were available uh, for Sunday. So uh, it's, a, it's a real concern right now. El Al is the Israeli national airline, and it's the only airline running uh, in and out of Israel right now. And we're very well aware there are thousands of Americans trying to get out. And we're working with the State Department and with the domestic airlines to see uh, what we can do to try to help uh, get uh, Americans who are stranded there out and back home. How old are your kids and how did they deal and how are they dealing with what they went through and what they just experienced? Yeah, it was my three youngest kids who were with us, um, nine, six, and five, and they're dealing with it differently, as you might imagine, because of uh, the different ages. The nine-year-old understands it and has is quite uh, traumatized by it. Um, she didn't had real difficulty sleeping Saturday night. She didn't understand uh, why it was happening and why we couldn't leave. Um, so it's been still difficult with for her when we're back last night as an example uh, she woke with a fright when the garbage trucks outside started uh, beeping with with the the sort of siren type of uh, beeping so 
uh, we're still dealing with it. The other kids don't fully understand. And my son is six, thinks it's a, a sports game and keeps asking which team is winning. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult. These are life lessons that unfortunately Israeli children grow up with. Uh, but I certainly had hoped not to have to explain to my kids at this young age. One of the biggest challenges and outrages now is the continued holding of hostages by Hamas, including women and children and other civilians, and the threat that's been reported to kill them when Israel takes various actions. What's your understanding of the extent of or status of Israeli hostages now? This is, as you point out, the most uh, concerning issue right now. Uh, and some of the stories that continue to come out about babies being beheaded uh, and all sorts of just horrific, horrific actions of uh, Hamas terrorists raping women uh, right next to corpses in the fields where the concert was, uh, just awful things. Uh, you know, what the announcement that Hamas made, and I think this is important for everyone to understand, said that if civilians are killed, quote, without prior warning, unquote, then they will take those actions. Uh, Israel makes it a habit and they have gone to great lengths to notify all civilians uh, when they are intending to um, bomb or, or uh, destroy particular buildings that have Hamas infrastructure, terrorist infrastructure. And so I am. Uh, I want everyone to be aware that the, the without prior warning is carrying a lot of weight here, and this must not be a pretext to engage in the kind of uh, brutal ISIS-style video beheadings uh, that became uh, all too familiar to many of us uh, over the last uh, number of years. And if it is a pretext, then uh, the the world needs to. Uh, react accordingly. It is uh, inhuman. Uh, it is barbaric. It is savage uh, what they have done and what they are threatening to do. And we have to recognize that this is a terrorist organization, just like Al Qaeda, just like ISIS, uh, that needs to be eliminated. One thing on the hostages, you know, there's always a policy dilemma in dealing with hostage takers negotiate with them for the sake of those individuals who are being held or refuse to negotiate and risk the hostages' lives because giving the captors anything in exchange encourages more hostage-taking in the future because it pays off. Do you have the, a, a position on the best approach in this situation? I, I don't have a, a defined position, and I think every situation uh, is different. Um, this is unprecedented. The number of hostages that were taken, uh, the the ages, the you know, from children to Holocaust survivors, uh, it, it's it's something that uh, we have not dealt with before. Um, Hamas is well known to use uh, its own uh, civilians as human shields, and and certainly uh, I expect that they would try to use these hostages as human shields. Um, to prevent further attacks from Israel. And, and I know that's going to be a significant factor that Israel considers as it, uh, as it dis moves to dismantle Hamas. Let's take a phone call. Lacey in Hunter, New York. You're on WNYC. Hello, Lacey. You're, Lacey, you're on with Congressman Dan Goldman from Brooklyn and Manhattan. Hello. Hi. I, um, 
I have a best friend in Tel Aviv right now who also has family who was living in Sterot in the south. And they were able to thankfully leave Sunday night after waiting and make it up to her in Tel Aviv. And after speaking with her just an hour ago, she said that um, they were all told to keep their documents on them in case of a possible evacuation because they're dual citizenship with America. And that they also were told to just stock up on food and water for a three-day shutdown. Yeah, I, look, I, th- I think there's uh, a, a huge effort that's beginning to get underway to identify American citizens who are there, um, register them with the State Department, make sure that we are tracking uh, everyone who's there and work to figure out a way to get them out of the country. A problem we have right now is uh, domestic airlines have shut down service to and from Israel, which means El Al is the only airline going in and out of there. And it's just not enough for uh, everyone to get out. So uh, we in Congress are in regular communication uh, with the State Department. And uh, I will be um, reaching out personally to the domestic airlines to see if we can figure out a way for them to resume service so that we can get uh, the Americans who are stranded there out. It's a huge priority right now. Lacey, thank you for your call. I hope everyone you know is safe. Milt in Bridgewater, New Jersey, you're on WNYC with Congressman Dan Goldman. Hello, Milt. Thank you. I I, want to sort of try to explain why uh, I'm surprised at my own reaction. I have several family members, and and a number of years ago, I had a member of my family murdered by Hamas. So there's no question that um, I'm sad and grief and, and, and struggling with this and, and absolutely supportive of a, of a, of a substantial uh, response. Uh, so I'm not ex- I don't excuse Hamas, but I'm talking about my own feelings this time. I find it very interesting that I'm not having, as a Jew, the same tribal feelings about Israel's in danger. So I mean, Israel is in danger, and I feel horrible about that. But, but I can remember a time when my attachment to the notion of a Jewish state was was so profound that it was um, undoubtedly, probably clouded my judgment, and and also was was sincere. But now I tend to view it the whole thing a, a little bit more geopolitically, which is, which is again surprises me, and I think that a lot of that has to do. Not, I'm not excusing any any evil. There's so much evil where it, it's impossible. But I think a lot of it has to do with um, placing Israel now in the context of, in addition to the Jewish state, in the context of a sovereign nation um, that has uh, demonstrated, you know, certain all sorts of political issues and problems and uh, steps away from democracy that that I I. I, I just can't get out of my mind. So my feeling is absolutely uh, powerful, but it's it's not tribal the way that it, it has been in the past. Um, Mil, Israel to me is. A, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. You want to? You can finish that thought. 
Oh, yeah, it's just strange um, to 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 think of Israel in a geopolitical sense for the first time, and in and in a political and in a political sense, and given not to excuse your feelings about what the Netanyahu government has been doing recently, and also the occupation. I think is what I hear you saying, right? Exactly, but it doesn't lessen my outrage and and absolute support for a massive, even brutal response. Milt, thank you very much for your call. We really appreciate it. And you know, Congressman, I think he probably articulates uh, a range of feelings that coexist within other individuals um, in difficult ways, like like for him. Um, And In fact, I was going to cite to you a Gallup poll in March that found for the first time Democratic voters, that is Democratic Party voters in the United States, side more with the Palestinians than the Israelis in their long conflict. The wording of the question was, in the Middle East situation, are your sympathies more with the Israelis or more with the Palestinians? And in March of this year, 49% said the Palestinians 38% said the Israelis, and that's different than in the past. And, you know, um, in 2019, with that same poll question, it was about 50% Israelis, just 30% Palestinians. It's been narrowing ever since, and this year the lines crossed. And that, of course, was before this attack by Hamas. That might change it again. But is the National Democratic Party from President Biden— to most of Congress, including you, too dismissive for even your own voters now of the Palestinians' concerns, despite the crackdowns and settlements and anti-democratic moves um, of the Netanyahu government and, and other things in this era. And again, as Milt was saying, not to excuse any of the horrors of these terrorist acts. Yeah, Brian, it's a great question. And and I think that uh, it's very important to put everything in context. Uh, There is no question that this government uh, under uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, has uh, really attacked uh, the democratic values that Israel uh, is so well known for, is so well respected for, and is uh, the true cause of our alliance with Israel. Uh, And we, I and others in the Democratic Party have spoken out very aggressively against those attacks on democracy. We also, of course, face attacks on democracy here at home. Uh, And we don't take that out on the American government and its structure and its country as a whole. We try to use our voices to stress the importance of restoring democracy and the rule of law. And that's also what we need to do with Israel. Um, We need to be speaking out and we need, as the protesters have been doing there in droves. But that's very different than uh, and and those issues in terms of the settlements in the West Bank and the expansion of settlements, which I oppose, is very different than what happened this weekend. Hamas is a terrorist organization that executed one of the most horrific terrorist attacks in history. And when Milt talks about, you know, feeling an identity, a Jewish identity, we have to remember that Hamas's sole goal and its stated goal is to eliminate Israel from the face of the earth and to eliminate Jews. This is nothing 
nothing other than a genocidal effort to remove Jews from Israel and remove Israel from the Middle East. And you have to put it in context because Israel was created in the aftermath of the worst genocide in history, the Holocaust. So everything is put in that framework. And so uh, I I feel very much, as do many uh, Democrats, Republicans, Jews alike, for the, the situation that the Palestinians are in. But part of the reason that they are in this situation is that Hamas is increasingly in control over them. And rather than use economic support that they have gotten from Israel, from others, to build out the infrastructure in Gaza, to build schools, hospitals, roads, uh, and an economy that can be self-sustaining, they have instead used that money for terrorism, for tunnels, for weapons, uh, for training, uh, for a horrific terrorist attack that we, we witnessed this weekend. And so we have to separate the Palestinian people from the terrorist organization Hamas. And it will be ultimately much better for the Palestinian people if they have different leadership that actually cares about their future, their peace, their prosperity, more than just eliminating Jews and the state of Israel from the map. And that's why Hamas needs to be eliminated, which ultimately will not only benefit the peace and security of Israel, but will benefit the Palestinian people as well. Critics will say, but Israel is cutting off food and water and electricity and other fuel to all of Gaza. They would say that in addition to Hamas's war crimes in the murder of innocent civilians and taking of hostages, Israel is committing war crimes with this collective punishment, as they characterize it, that, for example, is depriving hospitals of electricity at a time when the war is causing so many injuries. Are both sides now war criminals? I think everything, again, you know, needs to be uh, put in context. And, and we, you know, am I, we as, as Americans must stand with Israel uh, and united with Israel against terrorism. There, the, the reality is that uh, Hamas certainly knew uh, what they were provoking with this attack. They knew they were putting their own uh, c- citizens and civilians in severe danger by executing this brutal terrorist attack. And Israel must be able to defend itself and must be able to target the terrorists to eliminate them so that this doesn't happen again. Is that Obviously, targeting or is that collective uh, punishment? No, no, it, it is it is targeting right now because they need to uh, undermine and eliminate the power and the infrastructure that Hamas can use to continue to fire rockets. However, this is not something that can last uh, for a long period of time. And there needs to be an effort to provide humanitarian aid to the civilians in in uh, the Gaza Strip. And so this is a balance that Israel and the international community will have to strike uh, to make sure that that they are able to defend themselves and able to uh, take out Hamas while also making sure that uh, innocent Palestinians uh, get the humanitarian aid, the medical aid that that they need. Congressman Dan Goldman, Democrat who represents parts of Brooklyn and Manhattan. I'm glad you're back safely, you and your family. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Brian. 
With us now, Rami Khoury, Palestinian-American journalist and columnist with 50 years' experience in the Middle East and a senior public policy fellow at the American University of Beirut. Among his recent articles, one in July on Al Jazeera called Believe It or Not, Justice Will Prevail in Palestine. Rami, always good to have you. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you, Brian, and I'm happy to be back, and I'm glad to see that you're still dealing with these tough issues in a, in a fair and reasonable way. Thank you for saying so. First, as we began early on with Dan Goldman on the suffering among Israelis right now, how would you describe what civilians in Gaza are experiencing at this time? Well, they're experiencing a, a total living hell. I mean, it's, it's, you can just turn on any social media and um, any uh, the mainstream American TV don't cover it that well. Uh, MSNBC is a little bit better, but go to Jazeera English on the on the uh, web, and uh, you can uh, see much better coverage. But it's just an extra- extraordinary situation of 2.2 million Palestinians totally enclosed. They can't go anywhere. They're helpless. They don't have any real uh, self-defense mechanism or shelters. Or, and the Israelis have the strongest army in the region, I think seventh strongest in the world, and they're unleashing massive, you know, uh, attacks and uh, destruction of homes and, and schools and hospitals. So it's happened before. It just It's just hard to, even to describe uh, the, 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 the intensity of the attack and the suffering, the intensity of the suffering is uh, commensurate with the inability of this kind of action and this kind of tit-for-tat between Hamas and Israel to achieve anything other than to perpetuate this suffering, which has now been uh, heightened seriously on the Israeli side for the first time with the Israelis suffering. I think it's 800 or 900. uh, I don't know what the exact figure is. Uh, This is extraordinarily uh, important and also sad for the Israelis to have so many people killed. But it does show the inevitability that this cycle will only expand. And the thing the Israelis should uh, appreciate is that the technical capabilities of Hamas and some of its allies will also keep increasing, which has happened steadily over the last few years. So the, the real question is what can be done, what should be done to break this cycle and find a way that the Israelis can live in a secure, accepted, uh, peaceful state, which is majority Jewish as it is now, uh, uh, with open borders and trade and tourism, et cetera, sharing water and, and living in a normal state in, in, in a normal region. And the Palestinians can do the same thing, live in their own state, have a fair resolution of their refugeehood that can be negotiated according to international law with the Israelis. And, and they, the Palestinians also must be able to have exactly the same rights. Uh, that has been a challenge that neither side has really been able to uh, raise in the international arena's uh, standards of priority issues. Uh, and it's and therefore, we see what, what we see today, increased suffering of mostly civilians in Israel and in Palestine. Why, in your view, did Hamas launch this weekend's attacks at this time? Are there even policy goals? You probably heard the end of our conversation with Congressman Ned Goldman, who was saying that Hamas just continues to reject Israel's right to exist or exist as a Jewish state, not in the balanced two-state kind of way that you were just laying out. I heard someone else on MSNBC refer to Hamas as nihilist in its 
philosophy. So are there even policy goals for this attack, or how would you characterize it? Uh, I couldn't tell you precisely because I'm not privy to what the Hamas people are thinking, but I can certainly tell you by closely analyzing Hamas's uh, movement and events and, and positions over the last 30 years or since, it's, it was, since it came into being in the early 80s. And I've met Hamas people and, and I've even, you know, uh, been in uh, meetings with some, some Hamas people and seminars and, uh, you know, conferences and things like that. Um, uh, same with Hezbollah. So, I've you know, I've been 50 years in the region as a journalist and an analyst. So I've met a lot of people on all sides. And it's very clear. It's clear beyond a doubt certainly to most Palestinians, that the Hamas position is one that asserts resistance to Israeli policies, occupation, oppression, subjugation, etc., etc., uh, and colonial expansion, which is still going on in the, in the West Bank. So resistance is what they do. It's, it's their name. Harakat al-Muqawam al-Islamiyya is Hamas, is, is short for Harakat al-Muqawam al-Islamiyya, which is the Islamic resistance movement. The key word in their name is resistance. They will resist what has happened to the Palestinian people and to them in, in Gaza, and they will keep uh, pushing back in any way they can. They, I don't think they expect their actions, even though they've been able to inflict much greater pain on many more Israelis and fear among you know huge uh, segment of the Israeli population uh, and, and closing the airport in, uh, in Tel Aviv, etc. Uh, even they don't expect that to resolve the conflict and bring them their state. What they do expect, and they've said this consistently, as has Hamas and other people in the region who follow a similar strategy, is that we will not acquiesce in our own invisibility, in our own subjugation, in our own uh, irrelevance. And we will not allow ourselves to be taken out of history simply because the Israelis have 200 nuclear weapons and full American support and et cetera, et cetera. We will not uh, roll over uh, and die uh, because there's 13 million Palestinians now. We have rights. They're recognized internationally in the UN and other places. And we want to achieve those rights. The last point I'd make here, because there isn't time to get into these things in, in a half-hour chat, but uh, the Hamas people repeatedly agreed with Yasser Arafat when he was alive and when Arafat was negotiating with the Israelis after Oslo and trying to come up with a peaceful resolution of the conflict. Hamas didn't agree with what he was doing, but they agreed to accept any result that comes out of the negotiations, if it's a two-state solution, whatever it is, that is uh, accepted by the majority of Palestinian people. So uh, Hamas says things, does things, whispers things, Prince op-eds. Uh, so you have to, you can't judge these groups just through one metric, which is oh, yeah. they killed all these uh, civilians at a at a music festival. Well, uh, well how so much you, uh, how, how much do you think Hamas has the support of the civilian population in Gaza and perhaps the West Bank? No matter what one thinks of the Israeli response, um, just as I said to Congressman Goldman that no matter what one thinks of the occupation or Hamas, uh, that the occupation was likely to produce this kind of result over time as it continued and as what's perceived as what you described as colonial expansion continues in the occupied territory, especially in the West Bank. So just as we asked that question on that side, no matter what one thinks of the Israeli response, something like this was 
to be expected, this kind of Israeli response, or tell me if you disagree, but do ordinary Palestinians in Gaza, knowing that this would be the kind of response to this kind of terrorism by, by Hamas, do Palestinians in Gaza generally think this trade-off of a thousand lives for a thousand lives, or whatever the actual numbers are, are in their interest, and Hamas is doing what they wanted to do. That's a very complex but uh, important question, which is hard to answer in, in a minute and a half. But I'll I'll give you what I can. The equation is not a thousand lives for a thousand lives, because the equation is perpetual suffering by both people in many dimensions. The fear of people living around Tel Aviv now because of the ability of Hamas to send out much more powerful and accurate uh, uh, rockets. Uh, that fear has to be c calculated uh, in the closing the airport, the, the drop in the economy, all these issues on the Israeli side. And the Palestinian side, you have to calculate this massive destruction of infrastructure and people, uh, you know, 70% of kids under the age of 10 have mental health fear uh, issues and they're, um, uh, they're urinating in their sleep every night. It, it's the 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 human uh, degradation on both sides, as well as the physical loss of life and physical destruction of infrastructure, uh, these are all factors that have to be calculated. So, But what I would say is certainly a majority of Palestinians are pleased to see the Israeli uh, facade of invincibility and uh, imperial power and its ability to impose anything it wants on the Palestinians forever however degrading, to see that broken. And what what Hamas did is historically very important in shattering so many Israeli myths, uh, strategies, uh, uh, strategic uh, military doctrines. Uh, they shatter American and European policies that say we just have to keep the situation calm and advocate for a two-state solution, which is never going to happen right now. Uh, all of these things have been shattered. And the Palestinian Authority, Abu Mazen, who's, who's a sad old man who very few people respect. Uh, so what Hamas has done has shaken up every dimension of the Palestinian-Israeli, the Arab-Israeli conflict. And I would add, and we don't have time to get into this, maybe one day you and I will have coffee, as we've done before. Uh, uh, what they've done is also reaffirmed uh, the reality which Virtually, I would say 90% of Arabs believe, and, and most people around the south of the world, is that this is the continuation of a colonial struggle that started in the late 19th century. And again, we don't have time to get into it, but these are the factors that cause people in the Arab region to, uh, to be happy when Israel suffers, not because we want to kill Jews or, or, or kill Israelis or reject Israel. We've offered Israel a zillion times coexistence, full coexistence, full recognition, open borders, full trade. Uh, and the Islamic world has joined the Arab world as well. We've offered this many times and formally, and the Israelis and the Americans have ignored it uh, completely. So the, the, um, the, the bigger picture here is, is that people will react emotionally to short-term events, and that's positive on some things and negative on others. Uh, but deeper down in the minds of people, the Israelis and the Palestinians, is the bigger issue. The bigger issue for Israel is we want to be able to live in peace in a Jewish state in the region that we consider part of our ancestral homeland. And we've, by the way, we've given that uh, acknowledgement to the Israelis. We would accept that. 
And the Arabs, the Palestinians, want to live in a situation where the colonial penetration and occupation and subjugation of the region that started in the 19th century by the British and the French and, and now is perpetuated by the Americans mostly, we want to bring that uh, to an end. We want equal rights uh, for, for everybody. And if there's one single goal that I think we should work for uh, in the media, in academia, in whatever, is to get the Palestinians and the Israelis, the governments, and all other concerned people, the American government, the French, whatever, to simply come out and say the following. We believe that the people of Israel, the Jewish people of Israel, and all other Israeli citizens, and the Palestinians, Christians, Muslims, and Jews, and all the Palestinians, and there are a few Jewish Palestinians here and there, that they have absolutely equal rights under law and under God, and under the doctrines of history, constitutionalism, pluralism, democracy and equal rights so the, um, the 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 simple fact of acknowledging that the israelis and the palestinians deserve equal treatment in history and on their land has not has never been acknowledged in israel and therefore we perpetuate what we see uh, and the Israelis now have 300,000 soldiers. They're going to send some of them into Gaza. They, they occupied Gaza for many years. They, what, what more can they possibly do? They can destroy physically all of Gaza. All that would do is what it has done in the last uh, 30, 40 years. But let me jump in and, and, and throw a follow-up, a pushback question at you as framed really by our previous guest, Congressman Goldman, because he was saying, um, look, Israel... Uh, ended its occupation of Gaza some years ago, but Hamas, as the governing body in Hamaza in, in in Gaza, has dedicated itself to continuing to attack Israel nonetheless, rather than just try to build a successful domestic government in Gaza in the interest of its people. How would you respond to that? I would re respond to that by saying it is very articulate and sophisticated and convincing. Uh, Israeli talking points that go well in New York and, and, and Brooklyn, where my family and my, my grandchildren live and where I go often, and um, and, and I have, have huge respect for everything that goes on in Brooklyn. These are talking points that are very powerful and effective, but they're not accurate. Uh, the Israelis physically ended their physical direct occupation of Gaza, but they kept the siege on it from the land, from the sea, from, from the air. They would repeatedly bomb it. They would just, So we've seen what they've done since they left. Now, they will claim they did that because they were attacked. So we get back into the cycle of violence. And the cycle of violence isn't just military violence. I mean, for, for the Israelis to hold a dancing party uh, a few hundred meters or whatever away from the, the, the human tragedy and, and hor horror of life in, in Gaza under perpetual subjugation is another kind of violence. It's cultural violence, it's political violence, it's attitudinal violence. So we need to break this. There are people in Israel and in Palestine, brave people, friends of mine, even some cousins of mine who are involved in these efforts to get Israelis and Palestinians jointly to find a breakthrough, and they, they haven't succeeded. And the main reason, I would say, well, there's many, but a main reason is that massive American and much European support for anything that Israel wants to do in the name of self-defense uh, 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 removes the likelihood that Israel will change its policies, which guarantees that the Hamas and Islamic Jihad, and, and, and if they're destroyed, the next people to replace them, <coughs> will keep um, working to 
resist. And if you don't understand what resistance means, uh, then you'll never understand the dynamics that we see uh, on on the ground uh, today. How does this end without becoming a wider war? And I said I wanted to ask you about Iran's place in this. It's been reported that Iran was either behind the attack, provided the wherewithal for the attack that Hamas would not have had on its own technically, or at very least green-lighted the attack because it wanted to stop the Saudi normalization of Israel, which seemed to be around the corner, which would further isolate Iran. How do you see the Iranian role in Saturday's attack, and how do you see this war widening or the prevention of this war from widening? Uh, a couple of quick points. Most of the uh, specific things you mentioned are things we read in the mainstream American media. And if you rely on the mainstream American media, uh, you're completely nuts. Uh, if you want the mainstream American media to be your main source of knowledge about the Israeli-Palestinian problem, with a few exceptions, uh, you included bringing people in from both sides to give their views. But that, you know, we end up debating back and forth, but not resolving it. So the uh, the the Iranian role the, the United States, I've lived now in the U.S. for the last three years. I'm coming and going to the Middle East regularly. The United States media and political establishment is totally obsessed with Iran. Uh, they're hysterical. Uh, I've been to Iran only once, and I've, I've known many Iranians. And uh, Iran has many things that we should criticize, but to fault it for all of the stuff going on in Gaza and with Hamas and others and Hezbollah, I think is is wrong. The, what is clear that is, is Iran has worked closely with these groups, with Hezbollah, with Hamas, with the Houthis, with Islamic Jihad, to raise their capabilities. They are they see themselves as part of a strategic alliance, as the U.S. sees itself now sending the six the the Ford uh, 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 carrier group uh, to uh, uh, Israel to support Israel. You help Israel. Uh, Iran helps these groups. Uh, other people help uh, different groups. Everybody has allies and supporters. The Iranians, I think, I, I don't have facts, but they, clearly they provided a lot of technical aid, which allowed Hamas and Hezbollah before it to significantly raise their capabilities in, in warfare, intelligence, etc., cetera, right. etc. Cetera. Uh, the, I, the I will point that, out that it was just on Friday and how quickly this has fallen out of the conversation. The Nobel Peace Prize was awarded um, to uh, a Iranian women's and human rights activist, Nargis Mohammadi, um, for you know resistance to internal oppression by Iran and what that state is seen to stand for. So I don't know if that's related to the international situation or completely separate from it in your situation, but I'm just, in your opinion, but I'm just noting it. Yeah, it is noteworthy, and and, and she, she deserves that award. Uh, and there's a lot of brave human rights uh, activists in Iran, some of whom uh, we know. But uh, uh, that's a separate issue. The, the issue of Iran with its allies around the Arab region um, is something that's developed since the Islamic uh, uh, Republic started in 79. And they've, they've succeeded very well in creating a regional network of uh, close allies 
whose capabilities have increased to the point where Hezbollah has forced the Israelis into a deterrent ceasefire on the Lebanese-Israeli border, where the Houthis in Yemen forced the Saudis uh, and the Emiratis before them to stop the war in Yemen and 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 and, and negotiate a ceasefire, uh, and now Hamas has taken a similar step, hasn't reached quite the level of Hezbollah, but has sent a powerful, historic, unprecedented uh, signal to the Israelis that. You keep treating us like you're treating us in Gaza, and you're going to get more and more of this. And the next rockets are going to reach Tel Aviv, and then the next ones are going to go uh, everywhere in Israel and hit the airport and the military zone. So th this is a terrible, terrible cycle that, that we have to break. Uh, and I believe it can be broken, but not by the current leaders and certainly not by the current uh, international supporters uh, of of Israel, uh, who basically keep telling Israel, do what you want, we'll support you, here's some more guns and ammunition and money, you have the right to defend yourself. And the Palestinians ask the same question, do we have the right to defend ourselves? By the way, international law is very clear that, self, uh, that uh, people under occupation or subjugation uh, struggling for independence have the right to self-defense by any means possible, and that's in the Geneva Convention, UN resolutions, UN Charter, and international humanitarian law. Well, this, no that, this was going to be the your last answer, but you, when you say by any means possible, I mean, that's not to defend what happened on Saturday, right? The UN Secretary General Guterres made that statement uh, the other day, uh, right. correct? So I think, yeah, I think we have to... Uh, uh, say that what happened with the uh, a dance rave uh, was, is is clearly something that is unacceptable to most people around the world. And all and the I other civilian even, attacks. Yeah, well, the, the, so it, it gets tricky because when you go and attack a civilian living in a settlement and land that was occupied and that civilian is a reservist in the army and has the guns at home. So, it, it, no, it's, there's no, there's no black and white answer to these questions. But in the same way, the Palestinians would say, well, what about the... Uh, 7,000, uh, the 12,000 children, 12,000 children have been detained by Israel since 2000 and questioned and some imprisoned, some let out, uh, and they break into homes in the middle of the night. And so, you know, any anything we say that is unacceptable on the Israeli side, we can say there's parallel unacceptable actions right. on the Palestinian or the Syrian or the Arab, whatever, whatever side. Uh, you want. This is a war. So what I'm saying is that we have to accept that we are in a condition of war that has historic antecedents and clear reasons, and we see the consequences. We've got to break that historical historic cycle, historical cycle, and find a way to return to the effort that has been going on for 50, 60 years unsuccessfully to negotiate equal rights for both sides in a peaceful and permanent manner. I, I'm convinced That's, from my research and other things that the majority of Israelis, the majority of Palestinians want that. Well, with a little bit of hope at the end of this answer, uh, that answer, thank you very much, Rami Khoury. I guess we're not going to solve the Middle East on the show today, uh, but Rami Khoury, Palestinian-American journalist and columnist with 50 years experience in the Middle East and a senior public policy fellow at the American University of Beirut, and we heard earlier from Congressman Dan Goldman from Manhattan and Brooklyn. Rami, thank you as always. Yeah, you bet, Brian. Take care. Hope to see you soon. 
Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.